Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. Get out your sermon notes page and also turn in your Bibles to John chapter, I was going to say 21, but turn to the end of chapter 20. We're going to look at that first to find out why chapter 21 is even in the Bible, as I'm going to say. Following Jesus no matter what. John chapter 21. I have a question for you. Might catch you a little off guard. Why in the world is John chapter 21 even in the Bible? Why is that chapter even in the Bible? Now, before you assume that they must have removed part of my brain during my heart surgery... (laughs) Consider how John 20 ends. John 20 is all about good news. It's all about like the stuff we sang about this morning. John 20 is encouraging and it's hopeful. It is a victorious celebrating of the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John 20 ends with a very clear call for us to believe. Here are the last two verses of John 20, and it sounds like the ending. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Wow, it's almost like it should say in big letters after that, the end. Time for the closing song and prayer. (laughs) And many Christians, I think, would be very comfortable if the gospel account of Jesus' life ended right there was simply a call to believe. But apparently God is not that interested in making his followers comfortable. So it's as if at the end of chapter 20, the Holy Spirit nudges John the Apostle who wrote this gospel, and he says to him, John... Tell them what happened at the Sea of Galilee. Tell them what happened at the Sea of Galilee. Great New Testament scholar, Dr. Dr. Lewis Foster, said John's gospel does not end with the resurrection of Jesus, but with a challenge to his disciples. It is not simply a challenge for belief but a call 
for commitment. John chapter 21 is in the Bible to ask the all-important question of the disciples and of us, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Jesus asked his disciples that question, and he asked us, what are you going to do about what you believe? What are you going to do? God looks at each of us, whatever season of life we're in, and that varies with all of us, and he says, what are you going to do now? I look at my own life over the last two months. A heart attack, major heart surgery, 10 days in the hospital. I'm now in the middle of a long recovery process. And I think God is saying to me, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? You see, John 21 was the second time Jesus issued a challenge to some of those men. Because back in Luke 5, and there's a brief version in Mark chapter 1, he says, he sends them back to the Sea of Galilee where he had called some of them three years before. And that account in Mark 1, 17 and 18, says this. This is three years before. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And because they followed Jesus three years before that, they had seen a lot. They had seen good things and bad things and confusing things and exciting things and terrifying things. And they even saw Jesus die on the cross. So after Jesus' death and resurrection... He sent them back to the very same lake for a kind of self-evaluation and recommissioning. Because Jesus was wanting to see if they were really ready to follow him all the way, no matter what. No matter what. So this morning, I want us to ask ourselves the same question. Are we willing to follow Jesus all the way, no matter what? And here's my word of warning. If you are not a person of courage and strong faith, you may be very uncomfortable over the next 30 minutes. <laughs> or you may not even want to stay. But if you're a person of strong faith and you believe you're a person of courage who's serious about following Jesus... You stay, and we're going to ask this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus no matter what? Here's the first thing on your outline that following Jesus means. It means we follow him wherever Jesus sends. John 21 opens with these words. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's just simply another name for the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples 
were together. Here's the question. Why were these men at the Sea of Galilee? You see, Jesus' resurrection had just taken place 70 miles south of there in Jerusalem. And that's where the action was. So why would they leave Jerusalem, go all that way north, before modern transportation, <laughs> to be at the Sea of Galilee? Well, Mark 16 tells us that an angel told them that Jesus said to go there. Mark 16, verse 7, But go tell his disciples and Peter, this is an angel talking, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So here they are at the Sea of Galilee because Jesus sent them to the Sea of Galilee. Now it would have been easy, let's admit, if they had just stayed in Jerusalem after the resurrection because that's where everything had happened. Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection, the angels, all the rejoicing, the reunions, the great memories, some of the coolest stuff that had ever happened in the history of the planet had happened down in Jerusalem. You know, it's easy to not want to leave places where we've had special experiences or where it's been pleasant. Maybe it's a vacation location. Maybe it is a family gathering. Maybe it's a special worship gathering or a graduation or the last home ball game or whatever it is, and we just wish we could hold on there a little longer. But the disciples couldn't just sit in Jerusalem and dwell on the glory of the resurrection. It's interesting to me, and I don't want to read too much into this, but it's interesting to me that of the 11 remaining disciples, only seven of, seven of them are at the Sea of Galilee on this day. Where's the other four? Had they decided to stay in Jerusalem, or were they just up there and they went out for food and we don't know it? <laughs> we don't know. But here's the point, and you can write this in on your outline. It's easy to stay where it's nice and comfortable but Jesus had said to go. Jesus deliberately made these men uncomfortable. See, this was a type of test. Would they go wherever Jesus sent them? That's what he's trying to figure out. Would they go wherever Jesus sent them? You see, very soon, Jesus would tell them, to go once again and into even more uncomfortable places. There's two accounts of the same thing. In Mark 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So not only just leave Jerusalem, go into all the world. Matthew's account, chapter 28, verse 19, he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He told them to go places they had never been before, places that would be uncomfortable, places where there would be opposition. He said, go. So I want to ask you this morning, will you go where Jesus sends you? There's an old hymn we'll sing from time to time. It's, it's, it's called, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. And there's phrases in there like over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. 
Really? Can you sing that song honestly? I will go wherever you want me to go, God. Wherever. Or do you place qualifiers on it? I get frustrated with the number of people in ministry that I know that place qualifiers on that. God, send me wherever you can use me, but make it, two, make it within a two-hour radius of Cincinnati. I don't think God likes that. Do you place qualifiers on it when you tell God, I'll go where you want me to go? For instance, God, I'll go where you want me to go, but not too far away from family. Do you place that qualifier on God? I'll go where you want me to go, but don't ask me to help at BBS because it's too loud and crazy. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, but not to a nursing home or a hospital or a funeral home because all three of those places make me uncomfortable. I'll go anywhere else, though, God. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, but not to a foreign country. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, but not to talk to my neighbor about my faith. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, but not something that makes me uncomfortable. What's your qualifier? What is your qualifier? What keeps you from saying to God, wherever? Are you following Jesus wherever he sins? Are you willing to sacrifice like those that we will commemorate next weekend for Memorial Day? People who went. Vietnam was not comfortable. Korea and Germany and North Africa were not friendly vacation sites. Iraq and Afghanistan are not cheery resorts. But people have gone and they've died in those places. Are you willing to go wherever God sends? Are you willing to sacrifice like Jesus? The cross was not a picnic. Jesus does not mind making you and me uncomfortable. Matter of fact, he rather enjoys it. <laughs> Following Jesus means wherever he sins. No qualifiers. Following Jesus also means something else. It means however long it takes. Verse 3 is interesting. These seven guys are at the Sea of Galilee. Peter, no shock, is the first one to speak up. Simon Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That little verse covers an entire night of futile fishing. You know, the apostle Peter had some glaring weaknesses in his life but I admire what Peter is doing here. I admire that. You see, they were in Galilee, just like Jesus told them, but he wasn't there yet. See, they went probably expecting to see him, waiting for them when they got there, and he wasn't there yet. Because he had not given them a specific time, or place, or day, apparently. And that's okay, Jesus is allowed to not tell us everything. And verse 2 says they were together, not doing much of anything. But Peter was determined to do something worthwhile and useful 
for however long it took Jesus to arrive. So he says, I'm going out to fish. And that prompted the rest of them, we're going to go with you. You see, Peter wasn't content to simply sit and watch life go by until Jesus returned. What a lesson for us. That's reinforced several times later in the New Testament, especially in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, where it basically says, don't just sit around and wait for me to return. <laughs> I've left you with some things to do, some uncomfortable things to do until I get back. See, we're to follow and serve Jesus however long it takes. At this point, I'm going to introduce something. Maybe some of you have been around a long time have heard me mention this occasionally. I came up with a phrase, an expression, a syndrome about 30 years ago that I have called, and, and we need to beware of this, we need to beware of the when I, then I syndrome. The when I, then I syndrome. You will not find that in any psychology book that I know of. That's a Tom Claiborne original. But I've heard many Christians say through the years, you know, I'm just going to wait and see where God can best use me. Now, that sounds pious up front on the surface. And the idea is, you know, someday I want to get more involved in Bethlehem. So they wait, and 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 weeks pass, and months pass, and years pass, and jobs go undone, and needs go unmet, and calls for workers go unanswered, all while they're waiting on the Lord or waiting for some kind of a sign from God, and they never do anything. The when I, then I syndrome. When this is true, then I'll do this. For people in the church, well, when I learn more, then I'll do this or that in the church. When I get married, I'll, then I'll do this or that. When we have children, we'll do this or that. When our kids are grown, we'll do this or that. When we get financially stable, then we'll do this. When I retire... You know what? Probably not. Probably not. I've heard people outside the church say, when we have children, we're going to start coming to church. When baseball season's over, we're going to start coming to church. When camping season is over, we're going to start coming to church. When we get the crops out, we'll be back in church. When we get the crops in, we'll be back. When we get some problems straightened out, probably not. Probably not. You see, here's the deal. The devil will always manage to throw in another obstacle or diversion or de delay. He will always manage to do that. So countless people never get around to serving God or becoming a Christian because they plan to do it someday. Someday, someday, someday. When I, then I. But I got news for you. Someday may never come. Someday may never come. Jesus warned about that in John chapter 9, verse 4. When he said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him, works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. He's saying, the time limit's going to run out one of these days. 
Quit waiting on the Lord. <laughs> you do what you know you need to do. James 4 gives this warning. Verse 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Following Jesus means serving him today and however long it takes. Will you go like Jesus' apostles did? Will you go like Jesus did? Even to a cross? Are you following Jesus? Or are you playing a religious game? However long it takes. Do not play the when I, then I syndrome. Following Jesus also thirdly means wherever Jesus commands. Or whatever Jesus commands, sorry. You know, you can learn a lot about someone by how well they obey commands. I had a silly story about a father who had won some toy someplace and had five children, and he wasn't sure who to give it to, so he called his kids and asked them which one of them should have the present. He goes, all right, I'm going to ask you some questions. Who is the most obedient? Who never talks back to their mother? Who always does everything mom says? And all five kids in unison said, okay, Dad, you get the toy. Who most pleases the Lord? The one who obeys him. The one who trusts him enough to do whatever Jesus commands. Following Jesus means doing whatever he commands. And that means even if it sounds crazy or when it sounds crazy. Look again at the last part of verse 3. They go fishing, it says, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, notice the next two verses. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I mean, we're talking about some distance, probably a misty, somewhat dark, they, they had no idea who it was. So from their perspective, it's morning and a guy shows up on the beach. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Fishermen hate that question, don't they? They're fishing, they haven't caught anything, and someone has a nerve to come up and say, caught anything yet? Like the comic I saw one time, it shows a guy sitting beside the water with his fishing pole, and he's got a sign on his back that says, nope, not yet. <laughs> Verse 6, this guy on the shore says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I mean, oh, please. <laughs> Try to imagine how ridiculous that sounded to these guys. But Jesus was doing something here. Jesus was taking them back to an incident that we referred to earlier three years before when he first called four of those disciples. In Luke 5, they had fished all night and caught nothing. In Luke 5, verse 4 through 6 tells us what happened three years before this day. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
love this phrase, but because you say so, <laughs> I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You see, three years before that, they had trusted Jesus and obeyed, and Jesus did something very, very big and very, very cool. Well, three years passed, and now Jesus is at the same lake. They're at the same lake, and he's calling them once again to trust and obey him. And then things start to click in their minds. Verse 6, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Sound familiar? Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. We'll come back to that. That's pretty interesting. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? <laughs> they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's amazing what happens when we are willing to take big, unusual risks for Jesus. It's amazing. Do you notice anything in verse 9? When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. Notice anything odd? <laughs> Jesus has just performed a miraculous catch of fish, and then when they come into the shore, Jesus has already got fish there. Folks, he's proven a point to them. Jesus did not need their fish. He needed to see their obedience. He wanted their obedience. And they needed to obey. Will you trust and follow Jesus even when it seems crazy? What about this one? you trust and follow Jesus even if it means sacrifice notice what happens next in verse 15 and I'm not going to point out something that is often pointed out in this passage for a second time but verse 15 says when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you truly love me more than these yeah yes Lord he said you know that I love you Jesus said feed my lambs Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip the part where Jesus uses two different Greek words here for love. 
he initially asked Peter, do you agape me with this unconditional uh, love just like God's? And Peter answers, yes, I phileo you, I friendship love you. So he's answering a different kind of love than what Jesus said. It happened twice, and then finally the last time, Jesus just switches to the word Peter uses. Now, we can talk about all the implications of that, but I don't want to, because verse 15, I want to stress another phrase. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? That's the key phrase, more than these. That's a priority question. So the question we have to ask is, what is the these Jesus is referring to? Now, we cannot be absolutely sure, but I have an idea that you think about it. Peter is back in his home area. Everything around Peter right then would have been special to him. His home place, his home area, the boat that they were fishing on, the net full of fish, the friends and family that were in that area. And I think Jesus may likely have been asking, Peter, do you love me more than any of these things? More than any of them. Because it was the same Jesus in Matthew 10 who asked, one of the most uncomfortable things he ever said in Scripture, I think in a lot of people's perspective, Matthew 10, starting at verse 37, Jesus said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He's asking G Peter basically the same thing. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than all these things and people? Now please note, when Jesus asked Peter this question, Peter was already a disciple of his. Peter had just spent three years with him. Peter in Matthew 16 had given the, the good confession of who Jesus was and was praised for it. Peter had done some really good things for Jesus. Peter had even walked on water. And yet Jesus still asked him, Peter, I know all that. But I want to ask you today, do you really love me more than anything else? Do you really love me more than anything else? Many of us are Christians. We truly believe in Jesus. We have proudly confessed him as Lord. We have repented of our sins. We've been immersed into Jesus. We have served him maybe for decades. But Jesus still says to you and me today, I know all that, but what I really want to know is if you truly love me more than anything or anybody. You see, he told Peter to prove it by his actions. He said, well, then feed my sheep, if, you really, if that's really true. Jesus wants us to do the same, to prove by our actions that we love him more than anything else, by our priorities and choices. Folks, it's summertime coming very soon. Summertime, I am convinced, provides us with lots of opportunities to prove to Jesus how much we love him. You know, vacations and outings and, and everything like that are really important and usually good. 
But do we really think that God is happy when we also take a lengthy vacation from worship and from Bible study and from tithing and from prayer and from serving Him? Does He really smile when we just disappear? Do you love Him? Are you following Jesus? Whatever He commands. Whatever He commands. Here's the last one. Following Jesus means whatever it costs. And that means we're willing to be faithful even if it gets us killed. Again, isn't that what Memorial Day is about to a degree? Isn't that what the Lord's Supper is about? <laughs> Jesus gives a warning to Peter that's really uncomfortable in verse 18 and 19. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, John goes on to explain what Jesus meant. He said, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, he just told Peter, you're going to die for following me. And then he looks at Peter and says, follow me. Follow me. It's a reference to Peter being led away to a martyr's death, most likely crucifixion. And the message is, following Jesus was going to cost Peter his life. But God would be glorified even in that. You see, when people, other people see that our love and loyalty for Christ are greater than even life itself, God is going to be glorified. There is a church today around the world because countless Christians love Jesus enough to remain faithful whatever it costs them. That's what the display table's about in the foyer today. What have you sacrificed for Jesus? Unfortunately, people follow other causes with that kind of commitment more than sometimes we do in the church. Did some reading several years ago about the Hitler youth during the Nazi years in Germany. I always used to wonder how did the whole nation kind of get duped into all, all of Hitler's idiocies? Well, they started really young. Brainwashing kids. From age six to eighteen, there were Hitler youth groups. One of them was the when you were ten years old, you would join the Jung folk group. And here was an oath they had to take at age 10. In the presence of this blood banner, which represents our Fuhrer, the Nazi flag, I swear to devote all my energies and my strength to the savior of our country, Adolf Hitler. I am willing and ready to give up my life for him, so help me God. Ten-year-olds were made to take that oath to join that group. And much of the nation did. So is it any wonder that the Nazis conquered so much of Europe? Because those people were absolutely committed to their cause. As ridiculous as their cause was. They followed a lie. Now we, on the other hand, follow the one who is the way and the truth and the life. <laughs> is he not worthy of a solemn pledge to devote all our energies and strength under the blood banner of his cross? 
Imagine what would happen today if the church of Jesus Christ was willing to give up time and comforts and even life for the Savior of the world. In other words, whatever it costs, even if it gets us killed, let's try that for Jesus and see what happens. Be bold, be real, be a disciple. But being faithful also means being faithful no matter what anyone else does. In other words, Jesus calls each of us individually. Verse 20 and 21 are really striking, <laughs> odd in a way. Peter's just been challenged. Jesus has looked him in the eye and said, Peter, you're going to die for following me, but follow me. <laughs> so Peter all of a sudden is like, oh, this is getting kind of ner nervous here, you know. So Peter turned, verse 20, and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Lord's Supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, uh, uh, Lord, what about him? You see what's going on there? Peter has been challenged to do something individually, and he goes, uh, but, but, but what about John? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? But you must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? See, largely what Jesus is saying to Peter is, I'm talking to you, Peter. I'll deal with John later on. See, this is the old immature comparison game that people like to play. Jesus looks at you or me in the eye, and we want to point to somebody else. What about him? What about her? They're no better than me. It's the old hypocrites in the church excuse for not going to church. Well, what about them? And God says to us, like he did to Peter, Peter? I'm talking to Peter right now. I will take care of all these other people. They have to make their own decision. But you, you have to answer me, Peter. You, Peter, have to answer me. You do. You have to make a choice. You man up, Peter. And quit pointing at everybody else. Jesus says, big deal, Peter. You follow me. Our decision song this morning is, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's a, song, there's a phrase in there in one of the stanzas that says, Though none go with me, still I will follow. In other words, I'm going to do the right thing because Jesus has looked Tom Claiborne in the eye and said, Tom Claiborne, you do this. And that's not my time to say, what about Monica or what about Amy or what about Chad? God said, no, Tom. <laughs> What's Tom going to do right now? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Following Jesus means wherever he sends, however long it takes, whatever he commands, whatever it costs. We prepare to sing that very song. Let me read something from Kyle Eidelman from his book, Not a Fan. Summarizes this well. He says, followers are willing to deny themselves and say, I choose Jesus. 
I choose Jesus over my family. I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over career goals. I choose Jesus, or I am His completely. I choose Jesus over getting drunk. I choose Jesus over looking at porn. I choose Jesus over a redecorated house. I choose Jesus over my freedom. I choose Jesus over what other people may think of me. He says, a follower makes a decision every day to deny himself and choose Jesus, even if it costs everything. Will you follow Jesus? Will you be courageous? That's what this song talks about. And this is not the time where we point to anyone else. Whoever's been a bad example, whoever's hurt you, or whatever. This is the time where Tom Claiborne looks in the eyes of Jesus, and where you look in the eyes of Jesus, and we decide whether we individually, personally, us, me, I, you, answer his call. So I ask you the question at the bottom of your page. Do you have the courage to surrender self and follow Jesus? Surrender self. So as we stand this morning, let's think about our life. Let's think about our heart and where our heart is. And I'm not talking about the one in the chest. <laughs> where our heart really is. What we need to change, what we need to do, whatever that is. So let's stand, let's think about our life, think about our priorities, think about whether we're really following Jesus or not. If you need to come to him for the first time and confess your faith in him and, and submit your life and bury it in that water grave of baptism, confessing that you truly believe him enough to follow him completely with everything, now's the time to do that. Now's the time to reaffirm that. Now's the time to let Jesus know personally, I will follow you. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.